What's going on everybody, it's your boy Fab, Freddy Fox, America's Big Brother, and we back with another episode of the Saturday Night Sit Down. Good morning, everybody. It's your boy Fab, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Sergeant James Lofton. He's a detective with the um, Stratford Police Department, been on the force now for 27 years. How are you? Good. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, so, for starters, man, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit with me and uh, speak with me. Um, like I said, I was just trying to reach out to a bunch of individuals who I believe have a lot of good insight and a lot of good advice that would help us uh, educate this younger generation, lead them down the uh, down the right path. Um, I mean, for myself, I've seen just um, as I've gotten older to a lot of these younger generations, these kids going down, what I just feel is something that's skewed, getting uh, fed the wrong information, believing what the wrong thing is, the hype and what are the wrong aspects of what it takes to be a man and, and how to be a man these days. So speaking with individuals like yourself, um, I hope that we can kind of educate them and let them know what the real deal is and help them put them on the right path. Uh, I appreciate that. I wanted to um, first um compliment you on what you're doing and um said that it is a some noble thing and it's something that I you know I look forward to working with you and doing this uh you know this what we're doing because um I think there's a lot of value in what you're doing and it's honorable and I just like to um, con- you know congratulate you on what you're doing and say it's much appreciated no thank you thank you man I, I've, I've like I said for myself I, I've struggled so hard to to find my place in life you know what I'm meant to be and stuff and and for me I've always just had this this instinct just to genuinely want to help people, you know, any which way that I can and help them find their place. And one of the things actually recently, like I said, I've been, recently I've been going through a lot of depression, anxiety, especially since having my kids, because um, I didn't feel like I was prepared, you know, I mean, to, to really guide them and teach them certain things. So it kind of put me in a panic and trying to really rush to find what I needed to do. But, um, you know, when I had my son and then just understanding all the struggles that I went through to find myself and learn how to be a man, you know, I figured doing something like this, we can help educate it and, and reach out to a lot, a lot of people because we can't experience, like I said, every episode, we can't experience everything in life, you know, but mm-hmm. there's by having conversations with people and, you know, making connections and really helping each other out, we can all help each other guide through this rough thing that we call life. Absolutely. I agree. So, so for starters, like I always start off with these shows, one of my main questions is for you, um, what do you think are some of the main characteristics or the, some of the main qualities that it takes to be a good man or a good person? Okay, let's start with, um, I think, understanding that you have a responsibility, number one. Uh, well, not, I ain't going to say number one. It's not going to be in any particular order, but I think they are equally important. But let's say um, understanding what your responsibilities are and um, acknowledging it, acknowledging that... Um, that you have things in life that you need to do things that are not going to get done unless you do it and understand that. And I think you need to also the characteristics of having high morals and values and understanding that a good character of a man is um, doing what you say you're going to do, being where you say you're going to be, um, being honorable, um, developing these high morals, um, especially if you are a father, if you're a dad, because you have someone looking up to you, they're following what you say, they're looking at what you do. You know, sometimes it's more power in what you do and what you say. Mm-hmm. So if you if you say you're going to do it, do it. If you if you say you're going to be there, be there. If you're a son or daughter having a in a sporting event or something, the the power in for them to look over and see you there is 
words can't put it into to, to perspective of how that makes them feel. So if you said you're going to be there, you know, honor that and be there, you know, and be a protector, you know, as children, I think they look up to their, their mother and father as a, as a protector, you know, and, and you're there to do just that, to protect them because they don't know what they don't know and they do better when they know better. So, and you're supposed to be there to show them these things. So to be that protector, you know, and to be a provider. And when you say provider, sometimes, sometimes people might think that is all financial, but the provider sometimes is emotional to be that emotional support cast for them, to help them, to guide them, let them know they can do it, you know, help them get to that next level. Um, identify what a man is and show them what a man is. You can tell them, you know, being a male and then there's being a father, you know, not every male could be a father, you know, so you got to show them sometimes, you know, be that nurturing, you know, so a lot of times women is, they go to mom for that nurturing, but there's a level of nurturing that a man has to do as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to be that rock, you know, be that foundation. You know, and um, you also it's like being a promoter, promote your your family. Let them know what they can do that they can do it. You know, be that positive influence. You know, I you know I do a presentation on implicit bias, and I talk to a lot of the youth, and I and I tell them, you know, people go through life with their glass either half full or half empty. You know, and going through life with your glass half full. That's powerful, in my opinion. Definitely. You know, you're, you know, you're shining a light. People are looking up at you. People see you in a positive way. You know, I have a grandmother who's 101 years old. God bless her, and I get a chance to talk to her regularly. And I've never seen her glass em- half empty. You know, and I think part of that allowing her to get to be 101 years old is because she's always been so positive. You know, she's always looked for the po- the positive in a lot of things. So, and I try to, you know emulate that in my lifestyle. And I try to tell people that I speak to on a regular basis about having a half full glass to be positive, you know, speak that and that positivity into existence. Yeah, no, I think you touched on a lot of key points there. I mean, one of the things that I want to really highlight on, like you said, is, is as a, as a father being there is, is like you said that, you know, if you're going to say you're going to be there, be there, um, you know, just show up. I know that's for, a lot of guys have that pain or, or you know, go through that that um, that hurt when their father doesn't show up to certain things or they don't get that kind of love and stuff. You know, um, I guess, you know, with myself, like my my dad, you know, again, like I said, on these episodes, he's been in my house, he's been in my home and he's been there, you know, in the house for my entire life. However, when it came to, like you said, my sporting events or, you know, anytime I did drama at school, graduations or anything like that, he never showed up. He was never there. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, even like for my, for my high school graduation, I guess, like I said, it, it happened for so long, for so many years, my high school graduation, um, around that time, unfortunately his father passed away. So okay. he, Rico, and he couldn't be there, um, you know, for obvious reasons. However, like I went to his closet and I grabbed one of his shirts and even though it was like, you know, way too small for me, I just put it on and wore it underneath my cap and gown just so that I could have my dad with me. Um, okay. it was just that kind of, that, 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 that really stuck to me. And, um, mm-hmm. And I went to get married. Um, you know, I sat down with my dad and I told him, I said, listen, man, I, over all the years, I know you never come to one of these things. You never showed up to all these things. And that's OK. That, that's that's fine. But I need you at my wedding. 
you know, absolutely. You know, I don't want whatever happens. Like if you don't show up at my wedding, I don't, I can't forgive you for that. Okay. You know, and um, okay, and he was there. You know, and he might have awesome. body. He doesn't. He doesn't leave the house. But what I what I took from that, what I've learned from that over the years and watching him is that he doesn't go any a lot of places because what I've learned is like you said from watching your father. Like I, he didn't. We didn't have a lot of heart to heart talks, but I just watched him and and following mm-hmm. his and I understood that he knew that not everybody was worth his time. He was mm-hmm. very careful with who he spent his time with and who he associated himself with. And that's what I so took from that. Like, you know, what I mean, I'm very careful of who I let around me and stuff like that, because you don't want like, you know, that negative energy or people to bring, you know, bad vibes into your life. Um, Absolutely. I want to keep that distance and stuff. So that's the things that I learned from him and keeping from that as far as, you know, watching him and, and knowing that, but also knowing that pain too. Like when you want you, there's times you just want your dad, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And like um, one time, um, when I moved out, I, I moved out of my house. I did it all the wrong way. You know, I told my mom I was moving like the day before I left, Okay. you know, and I packed up and left. And I know that she, she kind of, that, that hit her a certain way because she never came to visit me in my house. When I was mm-hmm. like my aunt lived right up the street, literally like up the street, she would be okay. up every weekend, but never came by my house. And I think it was just because of the way I did it. But I remember one time I told my dad that I wasn't feeling when I was sick. And again, he doesn't know the years, but he showed up at my house, like out of okay. soup mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever I needed to help me feel better. Okay. And moments were just like, wow, you know what I mean? And that's kind of one of those things that I started to realize the importance of what it is of having your dad there and having that male role model. And that's mm-hmm. what hit me into finding this path too. When I had my son knowing that I'm going to have to do that for him and really have to show him how to come into the light. And, and, and right. you know, because I do have a daughter, but it's it's different. Like my mom was very... And, you know, I got that nurturing side from my mom and I'm very caring and stuff like that. And it's kind of like a different, um, a different teaching mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to her, like helping her find out, you know, what a good man should be, you know, versus right. teaching my son how to be a man, you know? Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And showing him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and showing him because he's definitely watching. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he is, man. And, and, and one thing that, like I said, that from my not being around like I, now, I tend to like overcompensate. Like I want to, I'm a stay at home dad, you know, luckily my wife goes out to work. I'm able to work from home. I take care of the mm-hmm. kids. I'm doing all these other things in these ventures and stuff like that to be able to provide for my family, which is like, and also thing, like you said too, for myself, that what, what really caused me into a lot of depression was these last years when I got laid off of my job from cable vision, where I was making crazy money, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to being now like making maybe half of that. And it mm-hmm. really, got at my ego because I only thought like providing with my family was financial, you know what I mean? Paying mm-hmm. the bills, bringing money to the table, buying and things. And now that I mm-hmm. wasn't doing that, I was feeling like half a man. Right. You know, right. Right. my wife is explaining to me like, you know what, you're doing so much more. You're teaching them. You know what I mean? Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm teaching my daughter how to be a good person, how to, you right. know, and that's priceless. That is priceless. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I take so much of that because my daughter is is such a people person and how much she loves mm-hmm. people. And I'm so proud of that because, and again, I have to toot my own horn, but I know I had a lot to deal with that. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. Know how to deal with people and, you know, she'll say hi to anybody and have a conversation with anyone and, and at any time, any point. And I love that because mm-hmm. I think, like teaching her how to love everybody is, is what's going to help leave a better place in this world for, for, for the next generation, you know? Absolutely. 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 And that's what I speak of when, I, when we're referring to when I said being a provider. It's not just financial. So what you're describing right now is being that provider for your daughter and your son that is priceless. Yeah. And, and it took me a while to learn that, man. But now that I've mm-hmm. that, that shifted that 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 gear has made things a lot easier and knowing that, you know what, there's there's 
like you said, so many different ways to provide for your family. It's not just absolutely. Um, and mm-hmm. really holding them down and protecting them like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean? That I'm there for them. And I think that's, that's like you said, as a man, when like it was funny, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to the beach um, to a mystic with my, with my family and stuff. And we're there. And my daughter, again, like loves playing. She'll go up to any little kid and starts playing with them and stuff. And, you know, they're playing in the water and I don't know, it just hit me. I was like, you know, I got to look out for this kid because they're, they're splashing, mm-hmm. falling in and I'm, you know, grabbing them out this, mm-hmm. the ties away mm-hmm. like that, because mm-hmm. like I to myself, you know, the moment that any child enters my vicinity, they're mm-hmm. automatically my responsibility. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to make sure nothing right. happens to them. I'm, you know what I mean? If right. I dive or whatever I got to do to protect that person, I'm going right. to do that. You know right. I mean? Absolutely. See that too and help that. And hopefully that, that carries on in them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I understand that. Now, um, not only was it like before, like you said, you have, you have a son too, um, who, who's, yes. um, mm-hmm. now for you, for, for you, like, what, what are some of the things that, are, that you're trying to instill in him that, you know, you're making a, a conscious effort to make sure that that's what you want them to learn, want him to learn? Yeah. I have to, like, I try to live my life to the point where he can look at me in a, in a positive light and always, um, know that he can always depend on me, you know, and part of being a provider, I think is what I try to do is what my father did with me is have open lines of communication. So um, I try to talk to him on a regular basis. Um, we spend a lot of time together and we just have real talks. You know, he's 12, but I talk to him about life stuff, things, what's going on. I don't um, hide things about what's going on in society from him. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd rather for him to hear it from my perspective that I can explain it to him and tell him what's, what's really what in, in society, you know, so we have these talks, you know, and um, and he has because when he goes to school, he might hear a different version or something. He'll come home and say, you know, I heard this in school. What does this mean? So we'll talk about it. And I like to explain it to him. And I like to have that open line of communication because I think that's important. And I think it's important to develop it at a young age. So when he gets older, mm-hmm. as things come on, he will still f- feel comfortable coming and talking to me, you know, and like that he's he's my only uh uh, son, but doing with my police act- activities league, I have a lot of kids that I that I'm in, in touch with, and and those kids, you know, I, I consider them all like my my kids, and I I have conversations with them. You know, we developed a a concept we call the casual conversation with a cop, and that's just a matter of us just getting to know the kids on a personal basis, them just coming and talking, uh, seeing us on a personal level, so they don't necessarily refer to us as officer right you know I, I coach a lot of different sports so they call me coach more than they call me officer you know they, they forget that I'm a I'm a law enforcement officer which is I take that as a, you know an honor like I like I I really enjoy that you know um, I coach a lot of my son's teams but um, his his team his friends that are on the team as, as well you know I have them at the house and stuff and we just we just talk you know and I get to, they get to know me I get to know them and I let them know that, you know, we can we can talk about anything, you know, and I get to know their family and it just becomes a big, a big family. And I and I think that's what a lot of times with law enforcement as a whole has gotten away from is that community involvement with law enforcement. And that's what I try to do with the Police Activities League is bring that community feel back, you know, get to know the, the community, community, get to know the officers as not just officers, because I, you know, like I tell the officers, if you only meet in the community when we're being called there, then you're only meeting them on the stressful situations. You know, right. I try to tell them, you know, to become become a stakeholder in your community, learn your community when 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 things are calm, 
you know, when there is no issue, you know, that way when things do happen, it doesn't make it that hard for the community to trust you, to, to come to you when, when, when there's an issue, you know, so, and real topics, real things. I, you know, I talk to my son about, you know, cause I think the world will show him if I don't. So I'd rather for him to, you know, to learn from me and I can, you know, try to tell him what's what, because, like I said, the world will show them, but they will show them their version. So I try to have that open lines of communication with them. Yeah, no, I think that that's very, very important. Um, I have a great, with my mom, you know, I could talk to my mom about anything and everything. You know what I mean? I think that that's very, very special. The same thing that I'm trying to do with my daughter uh, and my son is just create that thing. You know, I want them to talk to me and, and, and openly and have discussions and, you know, understand that they can trust me and, and you know, that I'm there for them. Because like you said, too, it's just so dangerous that when they, you know, if you don't have those communications with your children, if you don't have that, that constant contact, like you said, you'll learn from the street and they'll learn the wrong thing from the wrong people um, and then believe that versus their parents, you know, or where people are afraid to have certain conversations with their kids, um, then it leads to that, too. They don't that that level of trust, I feel, kind of gets gets a little a little tainted. And they, just, you know, they can come to you or really believe in what you're saying because you don't have that constant communication, which is which is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like you said, I think it's also wonderful, like you said, you know, with the police activities league and doing that and having to forget that you're an officer, because, um, you know, with everything that happened this past year and everything that's going on with law enforcement, I got a lot of friends who are cops and, and it, mm-hmm. it pains me to see people so blinded with anger for the wrong mm-hmm. Because yeah, there mm-hmm. is a few anywhere you go, man. There's a few bad seeds. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, anywhere, absolutely. Anything that you look at, but that doesn't, you know, you can't paint them all with the same brush, right? You no, know? and I think that's like you said too. It's very important to be able to have that common communication and, and you know, I mean, feel comfortable, especially with law enforcement stuff like that, and, and going out there and speaking with the community and really being there involved because that nah, people will get comfortable. They know to trust you. They know that you know what I mean like you're there to protect them and serve. Like what like many of you are. You know what I mean like many mm-hmm. absolutely force for that. Um, for that mm-hmm. same purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Now, like you said too, that like when you, you had that communication with your dad and stuff like that, what what is mm-hmm. what was your uh, relationship with your dad like overall? Well, I feel I'm very fortunate and I'm and I'm blessed that I got a chance to see what it takes to be a man from my dad, and um, I got a chance to see it firsthand, you know, day to day. I have a very good relationship with my dad, and um, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. So growing up, I, I didn't know, at, you know, at early on how fortunate I was because I just felt like that was just what everybody's story was. You know, it wasn't until I got older, you know, we started paying attention that um, everybody wasn't as blessed or as fortunate as I was to have my dad that around me as much as I had him around me. So then I started to value his relationship with me even more so because I seen that it wasn't, you know, in my neighborhood, it wasn't that common, you know. My friends that I, I got a, a core group of kids, uh, guys that I grew up with, just like you, you said, you know, you're, you're really particular about who you let around you. So I had a, a core group that I grew up with from my son's age now, since eight, nine, 10 years old, and we're still a core group. So I look at my core group of friends, you know, we all, all of our dads were in our life heavy. So I didn't know there was, I didn't have anything that, anything other than that initially to compare it to until I started getting a little older when I started um, seeing that, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't everybody's story. So, but my relationship with my dad was very positive. He, he taught me about the responsibility, um, having, being responsible, 
being a man of your word, uh, being where you said you're going to be, all the things that I described in the beginning, that was something that I was able to witness firsthand with my dad. And in doing my program with the Police Activities League, it gives me an opportunity to be a father figure, a male a mentor to a lot of the kids that I'm that I'm around because I was taught that from an early age from my dad and um, my friends' dads that was in my life and um, very close knit with my uncles that are close to me. So I had a lot of positive male role models in my life that I'm very fortunate for. No, that that's awesome, and I, I feel I that's one of the reasons, like I said, like going through this because I know myself. Like I said, my dad was home. But my group of friends, every last one of them, their dad wasn't in the picture for one reason or the other. You know, one of my friends passed away when he was really young. Another one was just in and out of jail constantly, so he was never there. Or another one just kind of just bounced and was never in the picture. Um, yeah. I had another friend, too, whose dad was there, but he wasn't living at home. You know what I mean? They had that shared custodial okay. shit. So my dad mm-hmm. really kind of took them all in as their own kids. But I got to see that other side of what it's like not to have her dad around. And that was kind of... an things that are different always intrigue me because I want to know, mm-hmm. more, you know what I mean? Like my mm-hmm. what's different, what's, what's strange and stuff like that. And I started to realize that like one of my, um, my, my, my little brother, man, JR, I met him, um, you know, maybe when he was like 10 years old, 11 years old and stuff like that, he came to the block. Um, and um, he's, he's the one whose dad was just not around at all, you know, in and out of jail and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, me with him i brought him into my house and i'm showing him around my room and all these stuff and you know i showed him like i had like these uh golden dollars in my drawer and you know, just okay. him, right um and then the ice cream truck came mm-hmm. and, yo let's let's go get some ice cream so we run outside to go get some ice cream and stuff and i'm at the truck and i'm like hey do you want something in the, or anything like that and he was like um hesitant at first he's like no nah, no nah, i'm good so i was like All mm-hmm. right. so we get back to the house and i go back into my room and he was like he looked at me in the face he said yo fred i'm so sorry man i can't do this to you man i took one of your dollars out of your desk to get something from the ice cream truck but i couldn't even go through with it um and mm-hmm. that point that i think that moment created a bond between us that, that, I, that mm-hmm. I i can't describe you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I, that's what i really seen and i kind of understood that you know that type of role model that i was for him you know what i mean and mm-hmm. really having to step up as an example for mm-hmm. him, I know his dad wasn't around, and um, and I mean, I'm telling him we, we were inseparable going up. I mean, he'd be at my house before even brushing his teeth, like brushed even like we were just okay, you know. And and as we go mm-hmm. to the barber shop, if he needed to shape up, I'll you know I'll buy him a shape, mm-hmm. whatever you know, mm-hmm. what I mean whatever I needed mm-hmm. to do to look after him. And I think that's kind of like taking the role of like being that that uh, I guess that father figure or that big brother to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 one time, and I remember we were going to the store. And I mean, I got into like this argument with some kid outside the store who turned out to be his half brother. Mm, oh, wow. And we're going at and stuff. And he stepped in between us and, and he started cursing him out. And he looked at him. He's like, yo, like his brother looked at him like, are you going to talk something like that? I'm your brother, Jay. And he's like, yo, mm. more of a brother to me than you'll ever be. Wow. And and, and mm. I, I was just like, wow. You know, and I wow. just more like to understand like why I needed to do these things or really look after him and, and try to be there for him. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like you said, it's very important. And that's one of the reasons why I do this because people who who are fathers or, or you know what I mean, like, or, or dads, I should say, who get people pregnant, walk out, you don't understand the importance you are to your child. Absolutely. And you're in the picture, not the picture. I mean, it's going to affect them tremendously Absolutely. ways. And it's you need to be there. Um, right. I remember um, one of my other friends, um, I'm not even that cool like that anymore because of what happened. I mean, he got he got this girl pregnant. 
Um, and, you know, and all of us, you know, understand the importance of being a dad when she was going into labor, you know, we all went to the hospital and he wasn't there. Mm. And we're like, dude, like, and this is what I mean, like, associate, be careful who you associate with. Cause we're like, yo, mm-hmm. like, how are you not here? So we looking around and we found him. He was at the YMCA playing basketball. Wow. So we all went over there, be like, yo, your kid's being born right now. Like, what are you doing? Right. You're like, you right. know, well, I'm going to be there. So we left mm-hmm. and he still didn't show up. He actually ran off with some other chick that he was with mm-hmm. and just disappeared wow. wasn't even there. And mm-hmm. at that point, you're like, we, we, we went to his house again, personal, and we was like, you know what, we kind of just cut ties. Like, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you know me, and like, you, you, I know right. you were young, you were like 16, we we're 17 years old or whatever. But still, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, we all understood right. we got to be there. And, and JR, he had his first kid when he was 15. Wow. So, and he was there, he was there being there. And he, you know what I mean? Like, he got into mm-hmm. trouble with the law and here mm-hmm. and there like that but yeah he went in when he went into jail I'd, I'd call up his girl like hey do the kids need diapers do they need this right. like what wow. to help him out and, and you know now mm-hmm. he's out and he's doing his thing and we don't hang out often as much but mm-hmm. I again like he, like i said he he's missed so much time with his kids mm-hmm. i don't want to be a part of like if he wants to hang out with me like he can call me up like i'm always going to be here for him but mm-hmm. i need to be there for his wife and his kids Right, right. I need you right, to be there right. because your son's going through some things and you need to be present because you know what it's like not to be there. So absolutely. It's, it's, it's hey. so important. Yeah, you know what I've seen, what I've seen found powerful is that um, you know, I meet a lot of people and talking to those um that that male whose father wasn't around and that was motivation for them to be around, to be that 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 much more around for their kids because they know what it felt like not to have them around. So it was like they learned from it and it made them be a stronger uh, person and be a phenomenal dad themselves. So, and it was it was it was a tough lesson for them to learn, but it made them stronger. You know, and the people that like a lot of people that I come in contact with, you know, I see the power in it, you know, and their their kids are fortunate because of some of the pain that they went through. And they don't they love their kids so much. They don't want to see that pain transfer um into transport into them so they 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 really go over and you know and make it up for it and then they live through the power that they are the effect they have in their um child's life so that's um that's a powerful thing i'm able to witness from you know from different perspectives and different people that i come in contact with yeah no definitely but i think it's a beautiful way that they they go ahead and break that cycle you know and yes. go there and then that creates their kids that they're they don't know what it's like not to be without a dad so they're gonna right be, i gotta be in for my kids you know what i mean like mm-hmm. be there so it is is so so important um and, and um, like we were talking about the police wars and stuff like that and for yourself like and mm-hmm. i for 27 years so congratulations on that man i mean appreciate that's it. thank you crazy i appreciate that and thank you for all you do, because, again, I know it's not easy. It's very, very dangerous every single day mm-hmm. going out risking your life. Um, what was it for you? Like, what made you make that decision to become going to law enforcement? Well, to be honest with you, I, I've always enjoyed um, helping people. You know, I've always uh, enjoyed trying to make a difference. And where I grew up in, uh, in Stratford, I didn't see a lot of growing up. I didn't see a lot of police officers that looked like me. Mm. You know, it was um, growing up there. It was a. Uh, Actually, I never seen anybody, um, any people of color. So when I was thinking about it, um, I just knew that was something that I was in, interested in until one of my um, uh, family members became a police officer in the city of New Haven. So that's where I started my career. I became a uh, New Haven police officer. I was there for two years. But Stratford is where I grew up, and I always wanted to work in my 
town. So I ended up transferring to um, Stratford. I've been in Stratford going um, for you know, for the, the the remainder of that. I've been in Stratford, but I always felt like Stratford had um, there were things I would always wanted to do differently because there that community aspect. Like I didn't know any of the police officers, and I didn't see any of the police officers be uh, friendly enough to stop and hold a conversation. You know, and that was something that I always said if I had an opportunity to do, I would bring that to. Um, Stratford if I was given an opportunity so initially I just wanted to I just wanted to make a difference you know I just wanted to um, to be a part of uh, something and help people and and give back and I'm very fortunate when I came to Stratford um, I was introduced to a veteran police officer um, his name is um, officer Bobby Ramos and um, he was a veteran officer uh, he's an officer of color so he he's coach he sort of played big brother and took me under his wings and explained a lot of the history about what happened, things that happened to him in the police department and just um, showed me what having a positive uh, connection with the community. He was one of the officers who did a lot for the community. Um, he did um, like Thanksgiving time, he would, you know, raise, get turkeys, hand out to different families, Halloween, do Halloween parties, you know, Christmas time, he would raise money to give unfortunate kids uh, gifts. So I was introduced to how a police officer can communicate and have an effective relationship with the community early on in my career. So, and since he retired, um, we just continued on. We just, um, so this community involvement is nothing like we're doing a little different things, but the concept right. was um, something that I was introduced from a veteran officer. So we just try to carry it on, you know, just, just keep it going because we understand, you know, things happen and just the way society is right now, it's, a, it's at an all time low with community and law enforcement. And I feel like everybody has to do their part to try to, you know, to make it a better place, you know, and the program that we have is trying to develop uh, mutual empathy between the community and the law enforcement and putting the community members and law enforcement in a room together and let's have an open and honest in-depth conversation. You know, because sometimes I feel like it's a it's just a matter of just talking to someone, mm -hmm. you know, and getting that open lines of communication open. So um, the program that we do through this uh, police activities league is called our pet program. We call it the police engagement program. So it's just about getting people in the room, getting community members and law enforcement. And let's have an in-depth conversation. And part of that is, um, from my perspective, being transparent. And if we get into some of these high profile cases, if a police officer is wrong, I, I'll say they're wrong and we'll have an in-depth conversation about it, you know, because what's, what's wrong is wrong. And we're not going to get to where we need to get to trying to sugarcoat it or trying to pretend things didn't happen. So um, this program that we do, we, we talk about it and we keep it, you know, we, we keep it 100. And how often do you guys do that? Like you guys get together, is that like a once a month thing you guys do that or? No, we tried to do it. COVID slowed us up a little bit, um, but we started this program six years ago when we started it in our schools and then we started going to our um, local churches. And to be honest with you, when I started going to the local churches, that was when I got a dose of reality that showed me that we have a lot of work to do because um, I didn't realize that the churches would be so hesitant to have police officers come and talk to their congregation. Wow. So, but it was, um, it was eye-opening. But it was understanding, you know, it was just a matter of um, it just was surprising to me. But I understand there's a history of hurt 
with law enforcement and people of color. It is it's just a history of hurt. So a lot of times people are a little hesitant, but so we do it quite a bit. Um, now we're starting to get going again. We've developed this program and um, we go now we're going to different communities and, you know, having this, these, these, these conversations and different police departments are calling us now to invite us to come have these conversations because it's a needed um, conversation and that myself and my two, um, my two partners, my main two partners, uh, Lieutenant Curtis Eller and Ms. Aaron McLaughlin that do the, pro- the presentation with me along with um, Officer K-9, Officer Diaz, and um, Officer Machette, we, we do this and we become certified to teach implicit bias. And now that this new police accountability law, um, a lot of police departments are required to have this implicit bias training. So we're actually, we're starting to go to different police departments and talk about implicit bias. Because what I come to realize that sometimes people, when you hear implicit bias, they're like, oh, that's, that's, that's nonsense. I don't have implicit bias. And you start talking, you know, I think sometimes people got to realize that you yes, you do. You know, people have implicit bias. People have biases that we're just born with, you know, and not and not acknowledging it is not the answer. It's just acknowledging it, identifying it, you know, and then we can then we can work with it. But you have to acknowledge it. So that's part of the program. It gives us an opportunity to have these in-depth conversations and talk about implicit bias and bias. And, you know, and then we talk about people talk about, um, you know, defunding the police and I always get asked, how do you feel about defunding the police? And I said, listen, there's a, there's a history of hurt. Why, why did people come up with that term? But the way I look at it is I'm, I'm all about reallocating the funds into getting different types of um, funding. You know, I'm, I'm all for things being changed and, you know, doing things a little different. I'm all for that, but I just think we just need to work together with the community and the police. We need to work together to, you know, to mend this, this broken bridge. You know, and it's like George Floyd. That was such a traumatic thing that happened. It was just, and it changed the the, the dynamic of the world. But there was a lot of stuff that was going on prior to that. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on that was just caught on camera, you know, which was just, and because it was caught on camera and and watched this officer's face as he was kneeling down just made it that much horrible. And yeah. it, as a, you know, just sitting there watching, like, how could one person take somebody's life with no regard and just look like he was enjoying it? And to have that person wear a police badge is a slap in the face to every police officer out here that is trying to do the right thing. You know, what I try to tell people is nobody hates a bad officer more than an officer that is trying to do the right thing. You know, watching that video, it was almost like you just wanted to just reach through the TV screen and push them off of them, you know, it's just, it's just a horrible feeling, you know, it's just, it's just terrible. Yeah, no, and, and I agree, like, I mean, I've seen everybody going on and defunding the police and stuff like that, and 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 it's, it's the wrong way to go about it, like, it's right, like, reallocating, maybe finding better training, better education, and something like mm-hmm. that, programs to help them understand, or even exactly what you're doing with the PEP program, which I think is, is huge, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, again, it's, we live in a community and, and we, it's like two different worlds, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. everybody sees the yes. cops and they, they kind of like scoot the ass out of the street and, you know, already, like you said, maybe have that implicit bias, like this dude is gonna, you know, do X, Y, and Z to me because it's all mm-hmm. because I'm a person of color, because of this, because of that, you know, without mm-hmm. really giving a chance to have that conversation. I think it's, it's huge, you guys doing this. And, and I would definitely mm-hmm. love to show up to one of these meetings and sit down and, and see these things in person because it's, it's so, okay. like you said, to have open dialogue, to have communication. Absolutely. Communication is key. People mm-hmm. can wonder and go on that their minds, our minds are, are, are so dangerous when they're left to wonder in the unknown or like kind of guess and make up our own theories about that. Absolutely. 
without Absolutely. A, 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 a really good conversation about stuff. Absolutely. Well, I have your I have your contact information now, so I'll keep you in the loop when we're doing it. No, definitely, definitely. I like to show up to one of those and then, you know, just get people more involved and maybe get more people to go in and have these conversations and, and go. Like, I know, I, like, like I said, my brother Jay, you know, I, I love him. Mm-hmm. And he has a really um, biased feeling when it comes to the cops and he's very, very mm-hmm. intimidated because I, I know that he's, you know, not to put his business out there, but he's had, he's had a sheer luck and things that weren't his fault. It was just one of those mm-hmm. things that really needed mm-hmm. to address and that left him scarred. And I want him mm-hmm. to you know, kind of mm-hmm. not live with that kind of pressure on his chest. You know, like nobody wants mm-hmm. that looking over their shoulder, you know? Okay. Yeah. Now, now I tell you, a person like that is a person that I would, um, I enjoy having conversations with because I learn from them. They learn from me. You know, a person like you describing like your brother, I, that stuff like people like that, um, you know, I just think that those are necessary conversations, you know, for, to get his perspective, you know, and, be able to talk, have an in-depth conversation. So, you know, that was that's somebody I would definitely love to reach out to. You know what? I definitely I see. I'll get a hold of him. You know, get you guys in contact and stuff like that. Because okay. I know he's it's 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 a lot to live on. It's a lot to live with. And I don't I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to like that. Um, yeah, I understand. Now, now you saying like that too when you come into and you learn things about um like you say you learn a lot of things from your dad. You know, about as far as mm-hmm. your commitment and stuff like that to help you become a, a better person, help you become the man that you are today. When it mm-hmm. came to the police force and joining there, what are some things that you took away of you learned from there to help you become a better person and become a better man as well? You know, one of the things that um, I learned, one of the most powerful things I learned is that I think the best weapon I have as a police officer is my mouth. And that's my way to communicate with people. You know, I think as police officers, we are taught this warrior mentality from the academy and that we have to win, we have to dominate. You know, and I think uh, it's a, it's got to be a mindset shift with law enforcement is um, instead of that warrior mentality, sometimes you just got to be able to communicate with people. You know, you got to be able to talk to people. You know, um, every situation is not a situation that we have to win. Sometimes it's just a matter of just having a conversation. Let's just talk about it. You know, and sometimes that right there can de-escalate situations. You know, and I think um, what we do, one of the things we do with our program is we have over 40 programs where we try to reach different kids because, you know, it used to be called the police um, athletically, which was geared basically mainly around basketball, but we were limiting ourselves to only athletic kids, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's when we ended up changing it to police activities league because we went from uh, three programs. Now we have 40 programs, you know, and it's just a matter of getting us the opportunity to reach so many more kids. And now we're reaching their parents. So I think de-escalation starts from a police standpoint on contact if you know that person. So now, now my officers and I get more officers involved. So now these officers, they go to a, a domestic violence. And if they're, they walk in the house and that mother and father is a parent to a kid that's been in one of our programs, I think sometimes the de-escalation starts when they walk up and they look in that door and they see that police officer. Oh, that's the officer that I've seen from whatever program. So the de-escalation starts, so right on contact, you know, and it gives you an opportunity to for the de-escalate rather than escalate. And it, it, it gives a, another chance. It's not 100% all the time, but it does help out, you know. And I look at the the shooting that happened in Atlanta and the fast food in the parking lot when that gentleman was run, running away. Now, I actually I asked myself, if that's one of my parents to one of the kids that I'm 
that I'm uh, having a program with, his father is running away from me. Am I taking that shot? Right. You no. Know, and I know depends on who you ask. You ask another officer, they might say, yeah, I just speak from my own perspective. I'm not taking that shot. He's running away from me. I know him. I know where he's going. It's tomorrow. You know? So I just think it, it increases the opportunity to not take the shot. If we got more programs and you start to learn the people and the people start to learn you, I just think the de-escalation chances are increased if everybody starts to learn each other. So one of the things, one of the most important things I've learned in the course of my career is not having that warrior mentality all the time and being able to communicate using, using the power of communication, you know, being able to talk to people, talk and just not walking into a situation like you're going to do what I say because I say, because I'm the cop. No, that doesn't, that mindset needs to change. And I think it's, that's, that's where we are with it today. It's about communication and building that bridge and, and you know, and just talking. Yeah, no, I think like that brings up a good point. He said, the more we do those activities or get involved with the police and stuff like that outside of, like you said, those high tension uh, scenarios, makes mm-hmm. it a lot easier because again you know like you said what if that person in atlanta he's seen that he's like oh that's dude that coaches my son you know what i mean like we mm-hmm. can have a conversation and not want to turn and run or be so fearful of his life thing that's gonna happen to him you know right. and then also too for for um you know officers as well knowing people and knowing like you said hey i know that person i know what he's about you know we can have a conversation and really not have to react in such a, a i guess i don't want to say violent or like a negative way um mm-hmm. that. i remember um years ago when in stanford um, you know, so a bunch of my friends and stuff, and it was it was a lot of shootings going around in the neighborhood. Um, and I remember I went to go pick up one of my boys, um, and we were gonna go to a, a, a club in New Haven. And um, my I was driving my homegirl's jeep. She has a uh, she had a black jeep, which I absolutely mm-hmm. loved. And um, so I was driving, and then um, as we're leaving, I remember she was like, you know, gotta be careful because I don't have the registration in the car. And I'm like, so if we get mm-hmm. in trouble, huh? she was like, yeah, I said that, I seen the sirens go off, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh crap. So, so I'm, uh-huh. and I mean, these cops came swarming out of nowhere, man. I mean, they mm-hmm. locked up the street, completely surrounded the car. And I guess that we fit the description of like one of the vehicles that was, that was just had a recent shooting. I um, mean, okay. like we were leaving a pretty rough neighborhood at the time, you know, okay. I could understand that as well. And I remember sitting mm-hmm. there, I was so nervous, had my hands on the thing. And I felt like these eyes burning and I looked over to the left and I see a cop behind a tree post with cocked his shotgun. And I'm just like, oh man. And my homegirl was wow. like, in the seat next to me mm-hmm. this officer rolled up to her window with his gun drawn and um she went to send off a text message and he screamed there he said put your hands on the dash the last thing you want to do is make a cop with a gun nervous and wow. I just that just started with so just because you're nervous you're just gonna react right. <laughs> yeah yeah and after after you know everything calmed down stuff like that it was like oh you know all right well we're sorry about that just be careful you know and he said you mm-hmm. know be careful up in new haven those cops out there are rough and i'm like building on that negative aspect of, of the whole mm-hmm. thing you know what i mean like and, right, and, right. and i know that's not the case because when i was younger i was 17 i, I did um uh i was with this program where i um i worked with fire ema emt and police i did training okay. with all those areas um mm-hmm. and knowing how to and that's too like learning how to speak with an officer you know what i mean like i know the routine if i get pulled over i immediately just go get my license registration you know what i mean turn off the car mm-hmm. everything out ready and stuff like that because i don't want to give them any in- things issue right and i'm already cooperating you know what i mean kind of mm-hmm. just making a smooth and easy transition so that mm-hmm. things again that i don't make a cop with a gun nervous you know what i mean right 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 
But I think like it's, it's, it's so important, like you said, just, just really people coming together with police and law enforcement and having these conversations and really getting to know each other so that, you know, we can help regain that level of trust that needs to be. Right. There. Again, we rely on you guys to protect us in our time of need. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we need to mm-hmm. and be able to trust you guys and you guys need to trust the public as well so that we all get to know. Right, right, right. So you know, oh, one of the things what we with my program, we talk about is uh, we talk about the three C's and we use the three C's as the calm, cool and compliance. You know, when I'm dealing with the community, a lot of times that word compliance is um, that draws a lot of attention to people, you know, people in the community say, you know, the compliance, you know, we're tired of complying. You know, we've been complying for years and we're still getting killed. So and I, I try to explain that that compliance goes when I'm teaching the classes to the law enforcement officers with the implicit bias. You know, I go through the same the same three C's, but the compliance for the police officers is I'm telling the police officers, we got to comply to the oath that we've taken. You know, we want our community members to remain calm, cool and comply to what we're telling them. But on the same time, we have to remain calm, cool and comply to our oath. You know, so I speak to that when you say he said the last thing you want to do is make a cop nervous. Yeah. OK, but your life, your life shouldn't end because an officer is nervous. Right. You know, so, and I'm, and I'm trying to, that's one of the things with the compliance aspect. I'm like, you know, remain calm. I want the officers to remain calm, you know, tactful, but remain calm, you know, remain cool. You know, don't forget all the tactics that we learned in the academy, but still remain calm during, this, during, during those circumstances. And the, the life-saving out of the three C's is the compliance aspect, comply to the oath that we've taken, you know, George Floyd, that officer violated his oath. He violated George Floyd's rights, his, you know. So that lack of compliance for law enforcement becomes fatal. So the compliance aspect, you know, we speak on it from both perspectives, from from the community and from law enforcement. So this made me think of that when you said you said you don't last thing you want to do is make a cop nervous. No, you don't want to make them nervous, but you don't want you don't want to cause you don't want to lose your life either. <laughs> Right. No, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. now, as part of what you said, we're not with the, with the police activities league that we, you know, and, and meeting with all these young, um, you know, individuals and stuff like that. What are some of the things that you guys are trying to teach them or instill in them when it comes to these programs? So what we try to do is um, we initiate the, the three C's, what we call it, the calm, cool and compliance. We, we try to say as young kids, the fire department came into our schools and taught us to stop, drop and roll. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we learned that at an early age. So we're trying to institute the three C's at our kids and our youth as early as possible to 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 eliminate the um, things from escalating, you know, try to de-escalate things from an early age and just trying to develop as many programs as, as we can. So we like to call it one of the programs, every cop in front of every kid, when we try to send our cops through the school so they can get to learn the kids, the kids get to learn our officers, like when 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 things are calm, you know, when things haven't escalated through there's nothing going on because we feel like if you are doing these building these relationships when things are calm and cool you know that's going to help you get compliance when things happen because they're going to trust you they're not going to feel that they're you know having to remain calm and cool is going to is going to um end up with them getting hurt or anything so that's all about building those relationships though we just feel like it's just um it's it's an ongoing thing. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. We didn't get here from where we are. This is a history of hurt with law enforcement. It didn't happen overnight. So it's going to take a little bit of time for us to build this trust back. 
So we just feel like we're just trying to start building this trust back with uh, one kid at a time and one household at a time by trying to have as many programs, as many kids that try to learn us and meet their parents and their parents learn us and just develop this uh, interaction with each other. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good, that's good, man. Um, so as we wind it down here, because see, it's, it's, it's kind of my time. I got two last questions. Sure. sure. Um, so for yourself, um, what mm-hmm. would you say is, is some of the best advice that you have ever received? Um, from law enforcement or for, I'll, I'll give you both. From law enforcement's perspective is treating, treating a person the way you would want to be treated. You know, treat them as if they were your family member. You know, and when it's over, it's over. If you if somebody's giving you a hard time, once you put cuffs on them, it's over. It's done. There's no need to go any extra. You know, just treat people as a human. You know, um, part of the presentation we use this quote from Maya Angelou. It's 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 hard to hate someone if you're looking at them in the eye and you you realize that and you identify them as a human being. So treat them the way that you want them to be treated. You know, and I mean treat them the way that you would want to be treated excuse me so and as a and as a as as a man best advice i have been given and shown is to just faith family you know and always always just be honorable and your morals and your values you know i'm i grew up i'm a man of faith so you know i grew up with that mentality from a young at at a young age you know so, and I just instilled that in my, in, in, in my house, household, you know, every, you know, I know everybody's different. Some people have different uh, faith values, which is fine. You know, I just feel like we all here on this earth, we can all get along. But um, I just think you just honor your family, take care of your family, you know, and um, whatever your faith is, honor that, you know, and I think we can all coexist in this world. Oh, definitely. That's some really great advice. I think it's, it's just cool to have faith in and believing in family. It's it's something that everybody should should abide by. And also you said that too. I mean, when just not just in law enforcement in general, you know, I think it's it's one of those things is I've learned, I guess it was like the golden rule like that, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. Um, and also like I, I think I take a step further when I've learned like somebody said that like the platinum rule is treat people how they want to be treated, you know, like understand people and how they are. You know, I mean, if you feel that nervous, you want to calm down, like kind of really read the person so that you know, try to take steps to make them at ease or be as peaceful, as calm as possible, so that you know you kind of get the reaction that you want out of them. That way you can kind of control that situation and um and, and then handle things a lot better um than you normally will. Um, mm-hmm. and then just lastly, for yourself, um, what would be some advice that you would provide this younger generation, or, or that you want these people coming up to know or to have that you probably would, didn't have yourself? Okay, some of the, what I what I end up telling the kids that I come in contact with is, um, I try to tell them to remember it as as the F's, and I start with faith, and um, and I say, you know, whatever your faith is, you know, try to learn more about it, and if you don't have any any faith that you believe in, you know, be open to it. You know, if, if there is a level of faith that is introduced to you, you know, be open to it, look into it. You know, don't just turn it away from or shy from it, but, you know, look into it. And then I speak about the family values, about valuing your family, you know, and having that utmost respect for your family, you know. And then another F that I like to speak about to our young generation is um, educating them about financial literacy. You know, I just think I try to teach them young so if they grow up with some uh, important uh, financial habits i think it would help them when they get older you know and when they're young they don't understand a lot how 
how hard it is to get out of bad debt, how to get out of bad credit, how hard it is. So try to teach them from a young age. Like one of the programs that we have is just that financial literacy. And we start that in you know these young ages about trying to learn about the value of the dollar. So we I try to spend time with that. That's one of the most important pieces of advice that, you know, I try to tell these kids and, you know, we try to get that going early. And then lastly, I try to tell them, you know, friends, choose your friends wisely, you know, and pay, pay attention. Try to tell them, pay attention to your friends. You know, if look at the big picture and say, what has this person brought to my life? Has it been good or has it, has it been bad? You know, since I've been in contact with this person, what, what has the outcome of our relationship as my world having this person in my world? Is it in a positive way or is it in a negative way? You know, and I also tell them, look at who brings you bad news. If the same person is the same person bringing you bad news all the time, and you can look at them in their face and say, are they getting pleasure out of bringing you this bad news? Right. You know, you got to really, really, really evaluate your friendship with this person. You know, a true friend, you know, that same, that shouldn't be that same person all the time. So just saying, take a, take a real good, overview of who you have surrounded yourself with you know and select your friends very very wisely those are the advices that i normally like that when we have presentations ended with for our kids just so i call it the the f's you know family faith you know using your financial uh literacy and friends choosing your right friends yeah no i think it's very very key i think like you said that the financial aspect is huge because um like like I remember listening to music growing up, like everybody, all these rappers and all these things that you kind of have role models are talking about popping bottles and buying expensive cars and buying this and buying all these, these, these things and not really going into, as I, as when I started getting older, what I started understanding, you know, the value of buying assets, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And properties mm-hmm. and all these things and investing in companies. Like, you know I mean? Like don't buy the product, buy the brand, you know what I mean? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Stand so that they can, Continue because all that stuff is going to fade and, and lose value. And then you're going to mm-hmm. be back, you know, scrounging to get that money back or trying to suffer. And I think that's what leads to a lot of these, these, these bad choices when it comes to, you know, either selling drugs or doing criminal right. crimes because they don't know how to manage that money. And because they're right, absolutely, that's what they have to resort to. Um, so that's absolutely. Very important. Like you said that, and also too, with the friends, you know, I mean, I, w- I was telling one of my, also, one of my young, younger uh, friends, too, um, and again, like I like, consider him like a little brother when it comes to that, you know, he was uh, going out for his birthday um, and he's like, you know, I'm going to go down to Stanford and start partying and, and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, part of myself, I thought at first, I was like, you know, I want to be there because, I you know, he came to my birthday and I want to support him. But also, like, that's not my scene either. You know, what I mean, I'm married. I got kids. I need to be home with my family. And I'm I'm not about popping bottles. But I told him at the same time, I said, you know, when you go out and you do these things be wary of the friends who are always there when you're at your highs and you party and mm-hmm. bottles there because those are the ones you got to be worried from the ones who are there when you're at your lows and going through some tough times that come find you when you're struggling those are the people who really care about you and who really want to be for you so that's what you got to understand and know how to differentiate when it comes to your friends um and those scenarios as well so absolutely absolutely sir. Well, um, that being said, man, you know what? I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me um, with all these things. You know, I definitely want to go ahead and, like I said, get that information and go to some of these uh, pet meetings and stuff and seeing because Absolutely. Uh, communication is key. So so thank you again so much for, for sitting with me. I mean, as always, Absolutely. everybody, man, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your big brother loves you. Stay blessed. Take care, brother. <laughs>